turn with me to the end of 2 Corinthians 4. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to take one of the black Bibles that are in one of the chairs. And if you don't have one, or if you don't have this version and you'd like it, we'd love for you to take it home with you and make it your own and write your name in it. 2 Corinthians 4.16 is where we're going to look at three verses. These are some of the three most precious passages of Scripture for a suffering soul, for a person dealing with affliction, with a person living in this world, and to bring them into perspective. And I, I, I hope you'll learn these words. Learn the content. I pray that I will. I, I feel like I'm just a beginner on these truths. I don't pro- proclaim these words as though I have... I have mastered the truth, like Paul has mastered the truth, or was being mastered by the truths of these words, but I pray that I will grow into them, and I pray you will grow into them as mature Christians. I pray that you'll memorize these verses, verses 16 through 18. Let me read them again as Mike, Mike began the service with them. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Oh, Father, open our eyes to these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. In these verses, Paul describes a desired disposition. When I mean disposition, I mean an attitude, a way or a wiring within him that I desire to have, and I think you desire to have, I think you and I would love to live our lives, no matter what we face, no matter all the circumstances of our lives, we would be able to say, we don't lose heart. Another translation for not losing heart is, we don't give up, or we do not faint, or we do not get discouraged, or would we say ultimately discouraged to the point of despairing? And yet, in this letter, in fact, Paul wanted to give up on life. And if you were to look at chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, I want you to be aware of my affliction that we experienced in Asia for the gospel. I was so utterly burdened beyond our, my strength that I and we despaired of life itself. Have you been there before? And yet in chapter 6, he'll write, I'm sorrowful, but always rejoicing. And in these verses just before this, if you were to turn in your Bibles to just the same chapter, look with me at verses 8 through 11, what Paul says here. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair. 
persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. And in Romans chapter 5, he's going to say, I rejoice in my sufferings. What a strange thing to say if you're not familiar with these kinds of words from the Apostle Paul. And he sits in the prison in Philippi and he writes to the Philippians. And in prison, he says to them in Philippians chapter 2, even if I am poured out as a drink offering for the sacrifice of offering of your faith, meaning even if they kill me, Because of my serving the Lord Jesus in order to further your faith, he says, so strangely, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and you should rejoice in me. Christians say some of the most bizarre things like, I rejoice in my suffering. I am sorrowful but always rejoicing. I despaired almost of life itself, but he says, so we do not lose heart. Maybe Paul's a madman, like some of the Christians in Corinthians thought of him. You're crazy, Paul. How can you rejoice in your sufferings? That is a desired disposition, to be able to get hit by anything And say, so I do not lose heart. There are so many things that we could lose heart from. And as you could do, as I do an inventory even through the church, broken marriages, lost spouses, wayward children, parents that are very difficult. A culture that bombards you regularly with sin and temptation, bringing pain after pain to the soul when one gives into it, and just the physical barrage upon your body from this life. And Paul says, I don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. It comes after me, but we do not lose heart. Where do you get such a heart? Was Paul just born with such a a positive spirit? He's just this optimist that has has his head in the sand and he's not in touch with reality. He has not lived with any pain. You can't say that. Because if we are to do a study on the Apostle Paul, we realize that Paul isn't just merely one of those chipper Christians who always says, how are you doing? Too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) And you're like, that's not how life works. There is stress. And I'm overwhelmed. And I'm still looking to Jesus. Paul 
new suffering, and he writes to the Corinthians in different ways in which he says in chapter 6 as he writes to them, and by the way, this is a church that some of them had a hard time understanding, you're God's man, and you're going through all of this. And by the way, recently I was with a member of our church who God is working in his life. He said, Pastor, I had not realized until just this study that suffering is meant to have this place in the Christian life. And it's revealing to me so much as I see what Jesus did on the cross and what I see what the scriptures say is about our lives. Paul, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. We're servants of God and we commend ourselves and we do this by great endurance and by afflictions and by hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonment and riots and labors and sleepless nights. Some of you here know what it means to have sleepless nights. If you do, raise your hand. Okay, we got hands all over. But how many of you know what it's like to be beaten? Some of you, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. Some of you might. And, I, and you're still feeling the impact of that. Oh, may God help you. How many of you have experienced imprisonments like Paul has? I don't think any of you have experienced imprisonments for the sake of the gospel. And so that Paul, in verse chapter 11, and if you, if you just want to write this down to read it later, in chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, he says to them, am I talking like a madman? Because with, for me, it was greater, I have far greater labors now listen to this list, this laundry list of Paul's sufferings. This is the guy who says, I don't lose heart. He says, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers... In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all of the Christians, all of the churches. And so where does he get the ability, where does he get this hope that he says, but we do not lose heart? These three verses that I want to share with you this morning are such a gift to, from God to us through the Apostle Paul. Learn them, memorize them, know these truths. And I want to point out just three things about these verses this morning. And they're all related to this concept of how do we not lose heart? How do we go through this life in obedience to Jesus Christ how do we follow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, growing little, and get hit over and over again by all the difficult circumstances and difficult people in your life, including the difficult circumstances of our body wearing out? And I want to point you three things related to that. Number one, the threat to losing heart. The threat to losing heart, and I'm going to say it's the work 
a work of Satan and sin in your life. Guys, do you need to know this? Christians, you need to know this. Some people do not get prepared by this. Paul, Peter says this to the Christians. Do not be surprised when you go through fiery trials. And I want to say to you, there is a threat to losing heart, and you will face that threat if you live very long. People lose heart all of the time. Pastors lose heart all the time. Christians do. Moms and dads, grandparents, rich and poor, teenagers lose heart. They despair, sometimes giving, taking their lives, sometimes just checking out in life, becoming bitter, mad, angry, or closed off from other people. There is a threat to losing heart, and we see the threat here when he says, so we do not lose heart, line one, verse 16. Next phrase, though our outer being or outer self is wasting away. People lose heart all the time, and part of it is because their bodies are wasting away. You and I are plagued in this life with bodies that they may grow strong for a time, but it doesn't take long, and that time passes away, and quickly they are, we are feeling the effects of decay and brokenness. And Paul says, we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. I wonder, and I know that there are members in this church who are facing the fact that your outer person, your outer man, your shell, your body is wasting away. Your eyes are wasting away. Your hearing is wasting away. Your mind and memory is wasting away. Your, the, the function of being able to move like you could and feel good when you wake up, to have energy or to be able to do some of the common things. It could be because it's just natural aging. It could be disease. It could become many different things. And he says, though our outer man, that is a threat for us to lose heart. It is really hard when you are afflicted and in pain, feeling chronic pain, to be encouraged. I know I know you know that. I've heard you and I've talked with many of you and I'm thankful for God's grace in your life. But there are many who lose heart in the midst of their outer person wasting away. He then insinuates another threat to our losing heart. And you see that in verse 17 when he says, but this light momentary, just look at the word affliction. Paul experienced affliction. He experienced rejection and betrayal. The word affliction means to be pressed upon, to be pressured in such a way that you feel pain and not comfort. And Elizabeth Elliot, in her little book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, defines suffering and pain this way. She says that suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. And I wonder this week, you're going to experience something. I have something I don't want. This problem at work, I don't want it. This situation, this, this tumor, this pain, this situation, this mental illness, I don't want. That's suffering. Or you have, some, you have something 
and you don't want it, or you want something desperately, but you don't have it, and you long for it, and you long for more of it, and you don't have it. It could be all different things. For us, it could be rejection, it could be betrayal, abuse from parents, or someone who should have cared for you, but instead hurts you. It could be financial stress, dealing with the beating that takes place upon a person's psyche through poverty, or difficult people at your work or your home, and you're, there's no age limit on this. If you haven't noticed, teenagers have a pandemic for depression. Oh, I pray that you young people would listen up, and I pray that God would help you, because you will have a threat against you to lose heart. You will have a threat, we could call it depression, or some mental illness, and it might really be, I'm not minimizing any of those things, but you will have certain things that break your mind and your heart, and you feel so discouraged, things seem so dark. As you look around you, it might be our own guilt, sin that has been committed, and the ability to actually believe that God actually forgives me. Or sin that keeps happening, and it feels like an addiction to sin, it could be bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. Other causes of affliction in our lives, loneliness. I just feel alone. I don't feel connected to anybody deeply. Paul says there are threats to this. And he says that we go through life in this temporal life, and it's temporary, and then we're going to be forgotten, and life passes so quickly, and we'll have regrets. I, I know there are examples. We, shared, we share prayer requests every Wednesday, and one of you shared a prayer request, and you said, would you please pray for so-and-so's father? So-and-so's father had this, got this bill of health from the doctor, which is no health at all. He's dying. And the question was asked, is, is this person that we're praying for, is he a believer? No, he is not. In fact, any type of talking to him about Christ, he just is bitter and angry, doesn't want to talk about anything of Jesus. And I say, how can a person like that, whose body is wasting away, handle it? He has no hope. He has no life in Christ. He has no encouragement. He has lost heart. I wonder this morning, maybe it's your eyes going, it's your knees and hips, your mind, your hearts don't work like they used to. Your insulin levels get out of whack quickly. Could be arthritis, sciatica. You groan in your body. And you long to be clothed with that new body from above. And the pathway of a Christian in this life is a commitment to follow Jesus Christ in the midst of these outer outer pains. It is a commitment to obey, and you need to see that Paul experienced the threat of losing, losing heart, and he wasn't a coasting Christian. He wasn't just joying the American dream, and all of these things were hitting him. He was walking the walk of faith, and he was being bombarded by afflictions and difficulties, thorns in the flesh, like 2 Corinthians 12 says. Friends, Satan wants to knock us off the path with affliction. 
He wants to cause you and I to despair and to forsake Christ and our faith. And he wants us to abandon our commitment to seek our relief in him and him alone. Doesn't mean we don't go to doctors, we don't go to psychologists, we don't, go to, we don't follow certain things, but he wants us to make that to be our focus and our hope rather than the Lord God. And Satan, every affliction or trial or temptation is to cause us or tempt us to distrust God and to rely on ourself or something else, and it will always lead If we rely on ourselves and our distrust to God will lead to losing hope. Now, when I say that it is the work of Satan and sin in our lives, they want us to despair. They want us to lose heart. They bring trials and affliction. However, I don't mean to say that God doesn't have a hand in our affliction. He does. He's sovereign. He is working all things for our good. I say this, that it is never the work of God to cause us to lose heart, but to grow heart through the midst of our affliction. So, so one, beware. There is a threat to losing heart, but I want you to see so importantly from this passage, the triumph of, the triumph over losing heart. And it's the work of the Spirit of God, the triumph over losing heart. There's a few things that Paul says here. First of all, I want you to see the continual renewal is happening to an, in the inner person. Look at verse 16 again with me. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self... Now, he could have said, but our inner self will get raised from the dead someday. Or our inner self got saved, at least we're going to go to heaven. He doesn't say that. He said our inner self is being renewed day by day. Friends, our only hope in this life to not lose heart is the work of God renewing us inwardly day by day. And he promised he did it for Paul and he does it for God's people. He says he, that's why he's giving this to us. He's extending this hope. Paul says, I don't lose heart because my inner self is being renewed day by day. He could say, my life, my body is wasting away. I have thorn in the flesh, and I've asked God many times to remove it. He hasn't removed it. I'm in pain a lot, and I'm experiencing all the things, but I want to tell you a secret. Every day, there is a renewal that's happening inside that changes my perspective on everything. I'm looking around. I don't think she's here. Joy Dibler, she's not here, right? God bless her. She's not online. She doesn't have anything like that. Our dear saint, she's about 89. 80 what? 88. Joy has been serving in our church, praying and teaching and ministering to me and to you for many years. I called her this week, and, and she tried to quickly divert the conversation about how she's doing to seeing how I'm doing and how the church is doing, and she wanted to make sure she's not skipping church because she doesn't want to be in church. Her doctor told her, my doctor said about my heart, there's really not good news. There's not a lot of good things we can do. And she said, Pastor, but I want you to know that I'm not just sitting here complaining. I'm rejoicing in the Lord, and I get to pray And as long as he gives me life, I get to pray and I get to pray. 
And as, as I thought there, I wish I was recording that conversation as my mind is taking in her words and I'm thinking, though her outer self is wasting away, her inner self is being renewed day by day. Her, she's, that, the world has nothing of that to offer. If doctors could give that kind of medicine to patients, they'd be so rich. They'd be able to say, I can, I can give you something that your inner person, your, your soul, your heart would be renewed. So no matter what you experience, there is a, a confidence, a, a joy, yes, a pain, yes, a difficulty, yes, a disappointment, but a strength that is so real that anyone else could say, how do I get that? Paul is going to say, there is a triumph over losing heart, and it's the work of God, and it's that he is being renewed day by day. That word is actually a passive verb. He is not saying, I am renewing myself. Now, we're going to get there because there is something Paul says he does in the next verse. But this renewal is something that happens upon him. He has been born again by God. He has been saved, and he has, he's awaiting the coming resurrection after he dies. He'll be home with the Lord and someday raised from the dead. But in, in the meantime, in the midst of brokenness, beatings, imprisonment, being neglected and hurt, and constant struggles, including his physical ailments, he's able to say, day by day, I'm being renewed Day by day, I'm being renewed. And, and what is that? What is the content of that renewal? It's kind of the rest of the sermon finishes with that. I guess before we move to the third point, I'd say that finishing this verse or moving into the second verse, I would say it is the hope of glory that brings pain into perspective for Paul. I pray that, I think this is true for joy that illustrated, I just illustrated, and for many of you, I have talked to some of you, and I praise God for his faith. You hear this, I'm saying I'm not praising joy, and I'm not praising you, I'm praising God for his renewing work in your heart, so that when you're in so much pain, you say, but pastor, I wouldn't trade it for anything, because I see God growing me and helping me and sustaining me. That's a miracle done upon their heart. As the hope of glory that's going to come brings pain into perspective. Paul says in verse 17, look with me there. This light momentary affliction. Now, I'm not saying that. If I got up here and said, guys... All our pain in life is light, momentary affliction. You say, Pastor Daniel, you know nothing about suffering. You're, only, you're young, you have a healthy family, you have parents that are still alive, you have all these things. What are you talking about? I'm, not, I'm, I'm a messenger from God, from the Apostle Paul, and by the inspired word of God, Paul, a great sufferer, can say it's light. You say, Paul, light. You've been imprisoned. You've been stoned. You've been beaten. You've been suffering constantly. You call that light? And he would say, yes, if you compare it to the weight of glory that's coming. 
And you say, Paul, you say it's momentary, but you've been suffering year after year after year. You go from Jerusalem, you go to different regions, and you're continually suffering imprisonment and betrayal and difficulties and sufferings and rejection from Jews, rejection from Gentiles, imprisonment by the Romans. You call that momentary? And he says, yes, in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. You see, he says, my heart is being renewed day by day. There is a work of the Spirit going on as I fixed my attention on the hope of glory. Heaven is going to be so glorious that it's going to make the most horrendous pains on earth just like a feather. Like a feather on the scale of, of this, it just, it, it goes up on the scale as the weight of glory that is going to just far surpass and it's going to just, it's going to blow those feathers of afflictions away and we'll rejoice in unbelievable, unfathomable, unmeasurable, unsearchable to the human mind and heart glory. Glory in God, glory in Jesus Christ, glory in knowing him, having renewed body. And, and he says it's light and it's momentary because of that and it will go on forever. It, it will go on forever and I will, and he says the hope of that glory is constantly putting my pain in perspective. That's why I don't lose heart. That's why I don't lose heart. And he, more than that, he says, he doesn't just say there's a comparison factor. Heaven and the glory that's going to be with Christ forever is great and heavy and awesome and forever versus the short term comparatively and momentary and light. He says, there is a cause and effect here. He says, it is, these afflictions are preparing an eternal weight of glory. Do you catch that? These words are important. Every one of these words, he says it's preparing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What it means is that not only will I enjoy glory forever in spite of living in this, this life that seems long but is really short compared to ever, that seems painful, but is nothing compared to the glory. It's not that I just got to make in spite of this. It's because of this. Paul is saying, these afflictions are preparing. They're making heaven greater. These afflictions, as I, as I, as I wait upon God, as I hope in him, as I serve him, as in my suffering, I show Christ to others, as I show that Christ suffered for me and I faithfully do not turn away from Christ, but I look to him alone, I show, I, I am preparing and God is, there is somebody preparing and producing a greater joy in heaven, not in spite of or in addition to my sufferings, but because of my sufferings. 
And we could go to many verses of Scripture, including Romans 8, 28, when he says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, including the loss of your spouse, including your physical condition, including your work employment and the difficulties on your job, including your the people you work with, including your spouse, including the situations that you're experiencing, all of them, the difficult parents in your life, that have become an affliction to you is part of God's working. Now, he's going to say, this is the work of God working among the believer. There's a song I hope we'll learn this fall. It's Christ is mine forevermore. And these words go, mine are tears in times of sorrow. Darkness not yet understood. We don't understand the darkness. Through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in time of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Come rejoice, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone, his hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. This is the triumph over the the soul that would be crushed or the one, the heart that would be lost, be lost, is Paul looking to the hope of glory. The last point I just want you to see is the task of not losing heart. The task of not losing heart. It's the work of the believer. If the first work is the, the great threat, Satan wants you to lose heart. God is working in you so you won't lose heart. He's renewing you. He's redeeming your suffering. There is a task of not losing heart. It's the work of the Christian. It's what do you do? Do you just sit by and wait? Look at what he says in verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things who are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see where Paul is going here? He's saying, these things are happening. My heart is being renewed day by day. He says, it's preparing an eternal weight of glory as we look not to the things that are seen. See what Paul's doing? His gaze, his mind, his focus is fixed upon gospel truth. The things that are not seen. Our minds could be so fixed on my my physical pain, my, my spouse who just doesn't love me, my children who are not working in line, my parents who are very difficult, the, the friends that just don't seem to care about me, my loneliness. We can have our minds so fixed on those things. He says, but my mind is fixed on those things that are unseen. At this day, we don't see Jesus reigning. We don't see practically at all times Jesus working all things together for good. We don't see Jesus at the right hand of, of the Father always interceding for us, Romans 8. We don't see all of the details working for our sanctification. We don't see how trials are working for good. We, we're so easily easy to forget how great our sin was and how great his forgiveness and mercy constantly is. Those are things unseen. And he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. It reminds me of Colossians 3 when he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, I, th- I hope if you're listening here, you'd say, Pastor Daniel, I want to have my heart renewed day by day. I want to be renewed so that even though everything might hit me, I don't lose heart. And he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That word renewed that we find in verse 16 is not used very often in the New Testament, but it is used by Paul in Colossians 3, which I preached this summer, when it says in verse 10, he says, you Christians put off the old, it's something we do, and he says, and you have put on the new self, that new self of being a Christian, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. He says, you are being renewed in knowledge after the creator. What that must tell me is that the way God renews you and me so that we do not just fizzle out, despair, and give up. The way we are renewed is through knowledge of the truth. One of my favorite movies of all times, I watch it every year. We watch it maybe multiple times every Christmas, is It's a Wonderful Life. If, if you love it, you just have really good taste. If you don't, <laughs> I, I pray for you. And... and The protagonist in the story, George Bailey, who's a hero throughout most of the story, finds himself at the beginning of the story, and then the the whole, whole movie tells the story of his life. He has lost heart. He is, he's, he finds out that he, there is no money. He's, he may go to prison, and he starts to do this evaluation and says, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm worth nothing. My, my life insurance policy is worth more than my life. He says, I wish I had never lived. And the angel says, oh, don't say that. But he says, I'm going to give you some knowledge. And he experiences what it would be life without him alive. And he receives the grace of a perspective Well, how much more do we receive the grace of a perspective of knowledge from God in the midst of losing heart? And he says, you need to know something. You need to know your God, and you need to know what he's done for you. You need to know, you need to to dive into John like we're going to be next week and for the next several months. You need to dive into John and see Jesus. And as you see Jesus and who he is as the great light for your life and the shepherd and the river of life and the bread of life, he is for you not just so that you can say a prayer and get saved, but then struggle with the rest of your life with a bunch of pain and it didn't change anything. He intends for you to be renewed in the knowledge of knowing God through Jesus Christ day by day. And as you do that, your heart starts to see and know realities that no natural man can ever see, natural woman sees, because you are being renewed Day by day, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. He's going to say in chapter 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. We do not lose heart. Paul would want us to know in Romans 8, 
that the sufferings of this present time are nothing in compared to the glories that will be revealed to us. Paul did not lose heart, and I want to end with this. He says, so we do not lose heart. Well, why did he put the word so there? What's the word so there? That's Paul's, Paul's use of grammar is important. You could also replace it, therefore we do not lose heart. So what do we do? We got to look at the verses before. And if we looked at the verses before, we could come to verse 14 of chapter 4, and we find that Paul says, knowing, knowing, that's knowledge, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus that's God, the Father, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into your presence. For it, meaning my sacrifice and my suffering, it's all for the church's sake so that grace would be extended and more people may increase thanksgiving to God and he may get glory. He says, for that reason, I do not lose heart because I know that he will raise me from the dead. I know it will result in more glory to God. That's all I care about. Therefore, I do not lose heart. He's renewed me in that truth daily. He renews me in the glory that is coming. Oh, may we be a people. We will face in this life, friends. You and I will faith, face afflictions and trials. One of the chief ways we will testify to the glory of the realness of God versus his just being some kind of fake religion, is how we handle suffering. Oh, I pray that it would go well with our, our bodies as it would be with our soul. Our souls would be so nourished by these truths. Let's pray. Father, I pray. That as we get ready for baptism that you would help us to look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Father, I, I want to stop and say to everybody here, so I, I'm going to stop praying here, and I want to just, as you guys have your head bowed, I want to just invite you to this. If you have not yet received the transforming, saving power of what we call the gospel, the good news. If you have not received the gift of eternal life, having repented of your sins and believed that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, that he died on the cross for you, that he is your life, and he, can be, he would be your only future, oh, I invite you to that. Would you please receive him? Go back to praying. Father, I pray that you would help us all, all of us that are believers, to move to the next stage of development in our maturity. Help us to not lose heart because you're renewing us. Help us to not lose heart by abiding in the truth. Help us to not lose heart by having our minds renewed day by day by going to your word and studying it and seeing you in it and coming on Sundays hungry to, to grow. Oh God, would you, would you be glorified by teaching us these truths, helping us in afflictions. And God, as Larry prayed earlier, I pray for those who are greatly afflicted.
Oh, help them, sustain them, strengthen them. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.